Well, uh, as Kevin introduced me earlier, my name is Riley Hambrick, and um, I've had the pleasure to kind of intern uh, over the past few weeks. Um, and before we dig into Psalms of Wisdom, uh, I'd just like for you know all of you to know that this is a staff that is praying more than they are speaking. And in their prayer meetings or, or in staff meetings, the first thing that they always do is, is pray. And it's not just a quick prayer. So, yeah, rejoice in that. That's a beautiful thing to see. Okay, so last week, uh, Kevin brought uh, us uh, or taught us about uh, Psalms of Praise. Uh, this week, uh, Psalms of Wisdom. And I must confess that when I was told uh, that I'd be focusing on Psalm 49, I didn't exactly know what to expect. You know, it didn't seem as if there was a much, uh, much there, but foolish thought, you know, an ignorant thought. The sovereignty of God always has a mean of, uh, or always has a way of you know, revealing things to you. So, okay, uh, Psalms of Wisdom. So, a common theme that I've seen uh, throughout the Psalms of Wisdom, as as I've been studying over uh, for the past week or so, is is simply delighting in the Lord. You know, delighting in the Lord, keeping His instructions. And this idea is, you know, like typically when you think of wisdom, you want to think of books like Job or Ecclesiastes or or Proverbs, where in Job, you see a man who had all of his possessions stripped from him, and yet through his sorrow, he was still rejoicing, you know, or, or in Solomon, where you see a collection of, of uh, or in Proverbs, excuse me, where you see a collection of Solomon's sayings from just his reflection and, and observations on the world. Ecclesiastes, again, Solomon provides uh, counsel on various aspects of life, whether that be wealth and luxury or politics and intellect, um, all these things as a warning from letting these, uh, these things, these ideas corrupt our fear of God. However, uh, we know that through reading the Psalms that wisdom can also be found here. So this is going to mess me up. It's not even on. There we go. Okay, Psalm 1, first example, first Psalm that we studied. How happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Psalm 37, the Lord watches over the blameless all their day, um, uh, watches over the blameless all their days, and their inheritance will last forever. But the wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies, like the glory of the pastures, will fade away. They will fade away like smoke. Psalm 112, hallelujah. Happy is the man who fears the Lord, taking great delight in his commands. The desire of the wicked man will come to nothing. Psalm 27, unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. In vain, you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the ones he loves. I mean, you'll have to forgive me. I, I, I used a different translation when, and then this is, you know, ESP. So um, anyway, Psalm 128, how happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Blessed is, is everyone who fears the Lord. And then my personal favorite, Psalm 73, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek, they are not in trouble as others are, they are not stricken like the rest of us, uh, like the rest of mankind. All in vain I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence, from all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I said, I will speak thus, I would betray the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. 
Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me in glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you, but for me it is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord my refuge, Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Okay, so, so time and time again, what we see is the Psalms uh, are encouraging us to do one thing, to delight in the Lord. How do we do this? By keeping his instructions, okay? Uh, and we also see that the futility uh, are the futility in the ways of the wicked. The wicked are those who fail uh, to walk in the Lord's ways, um, thus taking us to um, Psalm 49, where we'll be for most of the night. All right. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth speaks wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of a liar. Lear, liar. I don't know how to pronounce it. I was rehearsing that one thing. Uh, why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity uh, of those who cheat me surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the, fools, uh, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations. Though they called lands by their own names, man in pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boast. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death will be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases, for when he dies, he will carry away nothing. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you will get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers. He will never again see the light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. All right, let's pray. Father God, I pray that um, as we um, approach the study of your word, um, the teaching of your word, God, I, I ask for hearts to be softened. Um, I pray that uh, minds are ready to receive truth and that truth is preached, God. I ask for, uh, for your grace in, in, in teaching this, as this is my first time. I, I ask that you just allow us to hear what, uh, what you will. God, uh, may our focus be on you. May we glorify you during this time. And may we not seek the futility of earthly passions, but the glory that is yours uh, eternally. Um, all right. Um, so uh, unlike, most, uh, unlike most psalms, uh, Psalm 49 is written by the sons of Korah. Most of them, most of the others are written by, uh, by David. Um, in multiple places throughout the Old Testament, but primarily in 1 Chronicles and, and in Numbers, uh, we see the Korahites uh, connected with a royal apparatus in, in some way. You know. Primarily, we see them as keepers of the thresholds of the tent, which if you know anything about the Old Testament, uh, this is the place, the dwelling place of the Ark of the Covenant and other sacred objects uh, for the Israelites. 
but also uh, we see them connected to the service of song for David. Korah himself, uh, the father of sons of Korah, is the one who in number 16, if we can flip there, um, is the one who challenges Moses and Aaron to the right of priesthood. And on the slide, I think I have verses 23 through 25. I meant to write 35, so my mistake. Anyway, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, Depart please from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away uh, with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah and Dathan and, and Abram. Uh, and Dathan and Abram came out and stood at the door of their tents together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, that the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up, with all that belongs to them, and they will go down alive into Sheol. Then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had fin- uh, finished speaking all these things, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive uh, into Sheol, and the earth closed over them. And they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel uh, who were around them fled at their cry. For they said, lest the earth swallow us up. Verse 35, and fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. Okay, so interesting note here. uh, This is the background of Korah. The sons of Korah, his ancestors, are bringing us a message talking about the futility of, why? Uh, Talking about the futility of, of pride of Korah, who's wanting to seek, uh, I guess, a different position from the from the burdensome um, task of keeping the uh, keeping the thresholds of the tent, and, and so what we see in in number sixteen is Korah and all of his possessions. Um, I thought it was interesting that they noted their possessions. Korah and all of their possessions were uh, were swallowed up. What does Psalm forty nine warn us about? Psalm forty nine warns us about placing our trust and wealth, and riches, saying that they only lead to death, the very death that Korah and his men uh, suffered. You know? so, so Korah and his possessions met the same fate as the people that the sons of Korah in chapter 49 are warning us about. It's Korah's sons who later, in, in Numbers 26, uh, 10 through 11, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together uh, with Korah, when the company died, when the, uh, when the fire devoured 250 men, and they became a warning. And they became a warning, but the sons of Korah did not die. Okay, so you have the sons of Korah warning about the fate, or with this, with this background, they're not warning about it, but I think it's what accredits their wisdom, you know, in this psalm. And so, so here they are, I think, teaching about the futility of their ancestor. And I, don't, I don't know if that's a far, far statement to make, a far reach. And so with this uh, little background of, of history, uh, we can now proceed with the text. Psalm 49, uh, for most people, they break it up into three sections. I am not most people, so I did four. Go low. Um, okay, so 
Um, what we see, or what I saw um, in the text, is four different sections. A call for instruction, verses 1 through 4. Wealth cannot redeem, verses 5 through 9. The fate of the foolish, verses 10 through 14. And then finally, point four, a final exhortation, uh, verses 15 through 20. All right, verses 1 through 2. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. And so the psalm literally is for everyone, all inhabitants of the earth. No one is excluded, and it's not for a specific group. This is for all the inhabitants of the world, both high and low, rich and poor together. Okay? Verse 3, my mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. What wisdom, the wisdom that God gave through, him, uh, through the accreditation of being an ancestor of, of, of Korah. Um, uh, my heart's meditation uh, brings understanding. Again, just as we see with the story of Job or Solomon's writings, um, the sons of Korah bring a song on wisdom from a point of deep reflection, uh, trust, and deep meditation on the Lord's instruction. And this has allowed them to document uh, their wisdom in form of a song. Verse 4, I will incline my ear to proverb. I will solve my riddle with the music of a lyre. Actually, don't really know what that is, but awesome. So a call for instruction. Hear all peoples. Give ear all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. Okay. Wealth cannot redeem. Verses 5 through 9. I'm starting with uh, verses 5 and 6. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those uh, who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches? So take this first question, verse 5. Why should I fear in times of trouble? Uh, we're not going to address it right now. I think it's a rhetorical, a rhetorical question. Um, so we're going to take a mental note of it and then come back to it later on, a couple of different points. But what stood out was the iniquity being connected to those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. So what is it about riches or wealth or, or any of our belongings that brings about iniquity? First Timothy 1, uh, 6 through 7, verses, excuse me, 7 through 11, chapter 6. I'll get it right eventually. Second uh, Timothy 6, verses 7 through 11, For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich and fall into temptation, into a snare, uh, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of all money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many things. Uh, things excuse me. See this distinction in verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Okay, Second Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days, there will, be, uh, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen, with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. How about that? Okay, so the danger of, 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 of wealth or anything, you know, wealth being a broad, a broad term, it's not just money, you know, but the danger of wealth is self-idolatry, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's what the wealth does to you. It's what it does to us that corrupts us. I, I think the Timothys, one and two, 
paint a pretty good picture of that. Um, it's, it's self-idolatry. Verse 7, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. That he should live on forever and see the pit. So um, Mark Futado, um, who has written a book on interpreting the Psalms, says, uh, it says this, the words of the Psalter are either about Christ or by Christ. I, I think we're seeing this here in verses 7 through 9. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. What does it mean to redeem? Doesn't it mean to buy? You know? like So what we're seeing here is that, that money or riches cannot redeem a person nor can it pay his ransom to God. Why? Because the price of redeeming him is too costly. So we should stop trying because it will not save us from the pit. So, so literally, like we cannot buy our salvation because we are too, too, too valuable to God. So valuable that it took the blood of Christ to redeem us, the blood of the Son of God to come down and pay for us, uh, to atone for our sins, that's how valuable our life is. An interesting point that I think struck me is that um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting that money can neither buy your way into heaven nor can, can it save your soul from hell. So what is that saying? That God doesn't want your money and neither does Satan. Why does Satan not want your money? Because you are so valuable. You know, so your life can either be spent in eternity with Christ forever praising him or it can be stolen by Satan. You know, so Satan does not want your money. He wants you. That should, that should totally, like, tell you how valuable we are in the eyes of God. He wants us, not our belongings. So we can either be with Christ um, or with Satan. We are valuable. What we do with our lives matters. Okay. Um, verses 10 through 14. Faded foolish. For he sees that even the wise die. Um, what this is saying is that uh, the stupid men, as it says in the verse, the fool and stupid alike must perish. These people are observing that, that men far wiser than them are, are also perishing. So for, the, for, for he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Okay? Their graves are their eternal homes forever, dwelling places to all generations, though they call lands by their own names. Verse 12, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. Here, Charles Spurgeon states that what if they glory and boast in themselves you know, in the multitude of their riches, yet while we glory in our God, we are not threatened by their, by their proud threatenings. We are not dismayed by their proud threatenings. Uh, remember Psalm 49, did I not purify uh, my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning for it. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. Okay? So while we are glorying in our God, we are not dismayed by, by the, the, the proud threatenings of the rich. Flip me, with me to Luke 12, 13 through 21. Parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. 
uh, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, and he holds them, um, or and he told them a parable, saying, "The land of a rich man produced plentifully." And the thought, uh, and he thought to himself, "What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops." And he said, "I will do this: I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul." You have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So going back to verse 5, why fear? You know, like why fear when the iniquity of our foes surrounds us? Like, we have no reason to fear. We know the fate of the wicked. We know the fate of the foolish, those who place their trust in their wealth and in their possessions. We know that they will perish. Okay, but the hope of the Christian is in Christ, is in the cross of Christ, right? So, so why fear when man, despite his assets, will perish? We may be attacked or persecuted or afflicted, but doesn't 1 Thessalonians 3 say that we were appointed to these very things? James 1 says to consider it great joy, when we endure various trials. Why is this? Because this is the way that God chooses to mold us into his image. For whatever reason, this is sanctification. You know, ever read Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 12? The Father disciplines the ones he loves. We are sons of God if we are in Christ. Verses 13 through 14. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boast. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death will be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. So I, I, think, it, I think it's easy um, for us as college students to sit here and think, like, okay, right, like, I'm good, you know, awesome. You know, like, I'm definitely not rich. I'm in college. As a matter of fact, I actually have negative dollars in my bank account. Um, I have uh, no belongings. I have no possessions. They're all my parents. But um, that's not what the text is saying, is it? Verse 13, this is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them people approve of their boasts. So the people who are approving of these wicked people, of these foolish people, also have the same fate as those who have all the wealth, who have all the possessions. So the rich are not the only foolish ones here, you know? And, and why is this? Why, why do they have the same fate as, as the wealthy, um, as those who, who trust in their belongings? It's because what is the mindset of a follower? Is the mindset of a follower not to be more like those who we're wanted to be like? You know, like, we, those, most of us in this room, we're Christians. The, the, the idea behind following Christ is to what? To be more like him, to imitate him in every single way. You know, that's the point of a role model, to... to, to we, we see something in someone that we admire so much that one day we can hope that we can be just like them. Um, therefore, the same is to be expected for those who are followers of, of these people who, whose trust is not in Christ, who is not in the Lord. And we know that those who seek wealth in and of itself will be spiritually poor, eternally impoverished, and utterly depraved. But, Jeremiah seventeen seven, blessed is the man whose trust is, uh, is in the Lord. Another passage from my favorite book of the Bible, Hebrews, Hebrews 2, 1 through 3. Therefore, we must pay attention, uh, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. 
For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How shall we escape? And this brings us to the final exhortation. Um, Verse 15 uh, is one of the many great uh, but God verses um, in the entirety of the Bible. There, There are some of them. But God, verse 15, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Okay, so let's pay attention to what happens here. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Is this not the gospel? Emptiness and riches, futility and works, yet salvation and redemption by God, who will take us. An interesting note here is that this is the same language that is used in Genesis 5.24 with Enoch. Uh, I think it says, for he was no more because God took him. Uh, so, so just as we as followers of Christ can be redeemed by God and, and saved from uh, spiritual death, so too was Enoch spared from physical death. The Lord took him. Okay, 16 through 20. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases, for when he dies, he will carry away uh, nothing. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers. He will never again see the light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. Um, Just as we read for Luke 12 earlier, we'll do the same here. What is the fate of those who place their confidence, their trust in in, in fleeting things? So so again, like verse 5, don't be afraid. Why? Because Matthew, uh, Luke 12 or Matthew 6 tells us not to store up treasures on earth, but rather in heaven. Why? Because the one who redeems us should be our treasure. You know? This is what this is saying. Uh, Matthew 6, 24 adds uh, onto this and saying that we cannot serve two gods, uh, two masters, both God and, and riches. But what is our encouragement in Matthew 6, just a few verses down, verse 33 specifically? But if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be provided unto us. If we first seek the kingdom of God, everything that we need, as he cares for the ravens in the field, uh, the grass, all of it has the nutrients that it needs to survive, are we not more valuable than that? You know, we are more valuable than the, than, the, than the grass in the field and the birds in the sky, yet God still cares for them. If we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything that we will ever need will be satisfied by our heavenly Father. So how does this all relate? Foolish men see their wealth and their own laborings as a means of their salvation. They wrongly trust in, in the things that they have accomplished as a means to save them. Whereas the wise see God who receives us by grace through faith in him as the means of our salvation. And so I think a lot of us know the significance of, of context and reading scripture. One verse preceding another can utterly change the entire meaning. And I think the same should not be overlooked here with, with Psalm 49. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that Psalm 49 falls in between Psalm 48 where we see Zion exalted or Psalm 50 where God is judged. You know, so what's the, what's the, what, what is the, the pattern, right? Psalm 48, we see an exalted God. Psalm 49, sinful man in need of redemption. And why is that? Psalm 50, because judgment is coming. So, so bigger picture like, what is this saying? You know, like, what is this text saying? I think it's saying that 
it is not God's will for us to be rich. It is not the Lord's will for your life to be rich or wealthy or healthy or to be popular or to be revered or to be influential or to have stature. That is not God's will for us. God's will for our life is to be sanctified, to be holy and pleasing and blameless, to be above reproach, to seek first the kingdom of God, to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, to be crucified with Christ, to seek the Messiah, Colossians 3, to consider Jesus, Hebrews 3. Is the will of God for us to be molded into the image of God. And how do we do this? Through prayer. Why else would a psalm of wisdom be included in in a series on prayer? We pray to God for him to sanctify us, for him to redeem us, to save us from the futility of our own depraved mind. You know, like, do we understand the weight of prayer? Do we understand, like, how significant, how special this is? That sure, as the God of the universe, as he is holding the, the sun in one hand, the earth in the other, and seeing that the stars are so shining at night, and seeing that the, the waves are still crashing upon the shore, and that the, that the wind is still blowing through the trees, as he is governing the nations, the moment we lift up our voices to him, he hears us. The moment we say, dear Lord, heavenly Father, he hears your voice. He hears our voices. And what are we doing when we do this? You know, where do our minds go? It's, it's, not on, it's not on prayer. Oftentimes for me, my mind is thinking about what I'm going to do after this, how much work I got to get done, what I'm going to do tomorrow. You know, and, and where should our mind be? On Christ. Yet it is wondering everywhere else except for being focused on Christ. And all of heaven is shouting, do you know who you're talking to? Heaven is shouting, do you know who you're talking to? The one who calls you son is the same one who created the universe, who created all that we see before us. Do we know who we're talking to? This is our heavenly father who, verse 15, will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me, who sent his own son to atone for our sins. Do we understand how special this is? This is the most beautiful thing we could ever conceive. And what do we do? In prayer, when we are trying to seek him, we deny him with our thoughts. And we're thinking of everything except for the one who ransomed our souls. Um, verse 50, uh, or chapter 50 with this. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. The Psalms of Wisdom is learning to delight in the Lord, to deny ourselves of earthly possessions, um, or, or at least in, in denying them, um, in denying the rule of them over our lives. Delight in the Lord, love his commands, understand how special prayer is. The God of the universe hears us. It's beautiful.